I'm Sandra Nemoto, the content doctor, and I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. Hey, everybody. Sean Russell, and welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm trying that out. This is the first time I did that. Maybe the last time. But (laughs) um, thank you so much for coming back and listening. We're in season nine. Yes, we have made it to season nine of the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And I'm so excited to have today's guest on Sandra Nomoto, who is also known as the content doctor and is the author of Vegan Marketing Success Stories. But that's not why I'm happy to have her on. Of course, all that's amazing. But one of the things we really work hard on here at Soulful Vegans is content because content is super critical in terms of our mission of building an economically sustainable community because it tells the story of that community. I always say to a lot of people, unless you capture what you've done, it didn't happen. So I'm very interested in picking your brain and hearing your thoughts and gaining some of your expertise. Obviously, the listeners get that too, but it's more for me this time around. (laughs) So I appreciate that. So enough of me going on and on. We have a tradition here on the podcast, and that is to find out your vegan origin story. How did you, you know, what seeds were planted? How did you end up, you know, becoming plant-based individual? Well, thanks so much for that great introduction, Sean. It's an honor to be here. And my vegan journey started in late 2007 when I saw a screening of Earthlings. So many people are probably familiar with that documentary. Uh, Yeah, I saw screening at a theater a few years after it came out. So I had no idea this documentary existed. And I was just blown away by the content. It was actually screened at the University of British Columbia, where I went to school. And so I saw these big, you know, football, basketball, I don't know what they were players walking out with their jackets, and they weren't into it. But I went, you know, if they can't tolerate what we're seeing, you know, I'm going to sit my ass here and do it. And so I did. Um, and at the end of that screening, I just, yeah, I just knew like, I definitely want to cut animals out of my diet. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> so what I did was for the first year, I cut out all meat except for chicken. Cause for me, chicken was, you know, a huge part of my diet. A year after that, I had cut chicken out and was eating seafood. I would say like, I was never a big fan of seafood or eggs to begin with. And so I just really had to learn how to cook plant-based. And so from Monday to Friday, my diet was, I would say either vegan or vegetarian, I was learning to cook my own meals. And then on the odd weekend, when my, you know, boyfriend now husband would go out, I might eat some seafood, and then dairy as well. So for for a good number of years, that was my diet, always having in my mind that vegan was the goal, and also consuming more of the documentaries, the books, you know, all of these things that you pick up when you're on the journey. And so my honeymoon 2017, we ate at Iron 
Chef Morimoto's restaurant mm. and had the best seafood meal of my life. Mm. And I went, you know, it's not going to get any better than this. So I may as well just leave on a high note. And that was my last seafood meal. So from then on, it was just dairy, dairy and, and maybe a bit of eggs that was left. And so for a number of years over that time, I had suffered from some digestive issues and that have gone completely undiagnosed by my health team to this day. And so I had a really bad bout of acid reflux in the middle of the night in the spring of 2018 and went, okay, I got to deal with this, went back to my naturopathic doctor. She suggested I take a food sensitivity test. So I did that and found out I was sensitive to dairy. And I now know that many people of color are either allergic or intolerant in some way. And so after I did a four month cleanse of all these foods that I was supposedly sensitive to, I found myself, you know, going, well, I did four months without dairy. So I think I can do this forever. And that was the moment that I started my vegan diet. And then from then on went to, you know, stop buying animal based clothing and products and things like that. So that's my journey. And it's interesting that it's not really, I don't want to say interesting, but it's at this point, it's not interesting because it happens often that people watch a documentary and then that, create, you know, that's to the catalyst for them to then start going a little bit further. So, you know, you know, outside of, and we're creating this as a resource for people who are listening or watching, what would be some other documentaries? Because you mentioned Earthlings. Were there any other documentaries during that time that you saw or that you've seen since that you could recommend that maybe might spark that seed and or plant that seed in someone else? Yeah, I would say Cowspiracy was big um, because that outlines the environmental impacts of uh, eating animals for food. What the Health was another one. And I actually only recently watched Forks Over Knives, which is also health related, although that was, yeah, over 10 years ago already. And yeah, I'd, and I'm big on documentaries. I think they're one of the best formats to learn, yeah, just about what's going on in the world. And yeah, I've seen others since then, but I would say those are probably the most impactful ones. The Game Changers is great if you're an athlete. And then another one that just came out last month is called Slay. And that's about the fashion industry mm. and how animals are used there. And that's free to watch on waterbear.com. So I would highly recommend if you're a fashionista, go and watch that one. <laughs> so at this point, I want to dig a little bit more into your professional background because it's an area that I'm really excited about and passionate about. And, you know, public relations, content creation, you know, marketing, everything, you know, the whole gamut. But more importantly, it's being able to support other people with their vision and provide the tools and the blueprint and the roadmap that they can, you know, achieve their dreams. And, and especially in the vegan community, it's such a niche community, a niche within a niche within a niche, depending on, especially focusing on a regional aspect. So let's go a little bit into that background and like what got you started and what made you want to pursue that as a career? Thanks. So yeah, I, my background is in public relations. So I ran my own agency from 2008 to 2018. Um, and then for a number of years, I was just so, sort of, yeah, wondering my, what my next career path was. I, I did think that I was going to stay in marketing, but because the closure of that business coincided really well with me becoming vegan. Yeah, I, I just started, you know, all obviously following more vegan accounts, paying attention to the plant based and vegan media. And uh, around uh, 2019, I thought about 
about, oh, what if I write for these outlets? So did a bit of research and found that not all of these media outlets pay their writers. So a lot of them rely on volunteers. So I thought maybe at best I could make a part-time income out of this. You can, yeah, unless you you apply as like a full-time writer, which I didn't want to do because journalism is not my background. So I actually sat down to meditate in December of 2019, sort of discouraged by all my research. <laughs> and then as you know, often happens to me in certain points in my life, my intuition just gave me a big hit. And so I realized I'm going to be writing for the rest of my life, which whether it's personally or professionally, and I'm a vegan now. And my intuition said, put those two things together. And so I went, oh, okay. So the start of 2020, I threw a service page up on my website and just told everybody I, kn I knew. I said, I want to specialize in content writing for vegan businesses. Who do you know that needs help? And that's how my business started in 2020. And I'm really fortunate to have picked up my first few clients right away. And that's the business that I run today. Yeah. And, and at first I was, you know, hoping that, yeah, my ideal client would be vegan businesses. But now in 2022, because I see the industry rising so much, my commitment is that I only work with vegan businesses. Mm. So that's my clientele now. And then also during the pandemic, because I had more time on my hands, I took some courses in book editing and formatting because I've always been fascinated by book editing. Books are really the longest form of content that you can create. And so, yeah, so my other audience besides vegan businesses are authors. Obviously would love to work with, specialize in working with vegan authors. I'm not quite there yet. But yeah, if you're vegan and you think you've got a great story that you want to get out there, self-publishing is definitely an option. You don't have to go through the traditional routes. Yeah, and I can offer editing. I can even ghostwrite your book for you. I can format and then help index <laughs> if that's a thing as well. So um, nonfiction authors is my audience. And then memoirs is one of my favorite genres. Yeah, so, so nonfiction and memoir. So yeah, that's sort of where I am today. And that, you kind of just gave me that layup, that assist right there. And in terms of your book that you recently released, The Vegan Marketing Success Story. So what prompted you to want to write this book? Yeah, great question. So around the time of my birthday last year, I had an intuitive reading and said, what do the spirit guides have to say to me this year? And the reader said, you're going to write a book and you're going to write it, you know, while you're not working with clients on your off time. And I went, what? Like, I had no idea for a book at the time. But I just kept thinking about what could I possibly write about. And I've always been fascinated about marketing. Obviously, I have this PR background. And, you know, I googled in the summer last year, and nobody had written a book about marketing for the vegan industry. The closest thing to it was Katrina Fox's Vegan Ventures. So she published this book, I believe around 2015 or 2016. And that book is about how to run a vegan business. And she has a few chapters that relate to marketing. So she really like had the template for me. And inspired by that book, I decided to embark on this journey. And so by the end of uh, September last year, I started firing off requests for case studies and stories and reached out to as many vegan businesses that I could around the world of all sizes and got back 47 stories from contributors as well as examples because I felt like what I wanted to do was really talk about every possible marketing tactic you could do um, in this day and age and because not all of the contributors talked about you know for example traditional advertising I wanted an example and so I just pulled examples that I could find online and got permission to use them so in total uh, this book has about 80 examples of vegan businesses and what's working with them in terms of their marketing. 
And I'm curious because you do have a background in this, you know, it's obviously one thing to have your knowledge base, but to have access to over 80 different anecdotes or what have you, what are maybe one or two things that stood out to you as you were putting this book together that maybe you didn't know about before or that you got confirmation from the contributor? Yeah, so- The two biggest chapters in the book are the public relations chapter and the digital marketing chapter. So that just tells you that those are the bulk of tactics that these businesses are using today. And that didn't really surprise me. So digital marketing, that's quite obvious. Public relations is not only communicating to traditional media, that is creating your own media. So podcasting, you know, YouTube, uh, as well as reaching out to influencers, partnering up with other businesses. So, So that's one thing that I learned. And the second was that no marketing strategy is the same. Mm. Everybody's strategy is different. So you can definitely learn from what these businesses are doing, but you can't do exactly like you can't do it exactly like one company, one other company does. You're going to have to figure out your own strategy and the combination of tactics that work for you and test and try. And, you know, when it's not working, try something else. Like that's really how you form a marketing strategy. You can't just steal <laughs> what somebody else is using because everybody's different. Everybody's audience is different. And yeah, you're, you're really going to have to test and see what works for you. So that's the sec- the, the other big thing that I learned writing this book. So I'm I'm sure maybe let's just say 25% of the audience may be scratching their head when you say public relations. So could you give um, them just a little bit of an explanation of what public relations actually is? Yeah, great question. Most people think public relations is you send a press release to a news outlet and then they decide whether or not, you know, they want to cover your story. That's a part of it. That's only the media outreach part of it. Public relations, by definition, is really the perception and the development of relationships that you have with your public, so, or, or with the public. So it could be through media, it could be through influencers. A couple of businesses talked about how they collaborated with other businesses. So for example, Bumble Bloom is a vegan honey company in Montreal, Canada, and they partner with restaurants because yes, they're the direct to consumer is one way that they sell the product. But the other is, you know, we need to get this vegan honey in dishes in restaurants. So people know it's a thing. So that's, so that's an example. Uh, I also talk about awards, companies have won publicity stunts. I don't think many are using that mm-hmm. today. Flash mobs are sort of coming out of style, but publicity stunts are another thing that can bring attention to you. And then also giving back to the community. So what, whatever your mm-hmm. social responsibility or charitable efforts are and how much you want to talk about it, you know, in terms of your marketing, that's another part of public relations. And you mentioned some tactics there. And one of the big things, I just want to address one potential tactic. What do you feel TikTok's role is in for, like, how can businesses, let's say local restaurants or smaller businesses leverage TikTok? Because I notice a lot of them are skipping it and focusing more just on Instagram, um, just focusing on Instagram in terms of the outreach. So what do you think about TikTok? Well, I don't personally use it. I know a lot of people do. So I'm not going to call myself an expert. But yeah, a couple of the companies did mention TikTok. One of them got the chance to participate in a program that TikTok was actually offering to content creators. So Diana Edelman, uh, who runs Vegans Baby, she got the chance to actually learn how to use TikTok from TikTok. Um, So she talked about that in the book. But yeah, it's another one of these 
new free organic platforms that yeah, like if you just think about Instagram in its early days, that's where TikTok is now. That's what it, it seems like. And it, it's not it skews younger. So if younger folks are your target audience, you probably should be on it. Not to say that, you know, folks of older generations aren't on it, but I would say that's the bulk. And yeah, I, I would, it's very similar to Instagram from what I see. So if you're going heavy on Instagram, but you know that you should probably try out TikTok at least, I was like, yeah, you can even replicate some of that content that you're already part of probably putting out on Instagram and try out TikTok. So, so that's what I have to say. I'm, I'm not against it for sure. I just don't know a whole lot about, um, yeah, about it. What I echo a lot of your sentiments, like what, what I would also add to that is that all of these platforms, which regardless of which one you choose, it's like their own ecosystem, their own rule book, the old tips and tricks and things don't necessarily work the same way with the algorithm. It's like a full-time job. So having yeah. people, so like I'm saying all that to say, you know, there's why people like you and I exist because it's, we get to spend that time and 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 learn those trades because you go to YouTube and search Instagram tips. You're gonna see new updates like every single month on different yeah. things that have changed. So with that being said, what are some other platforms you would recommend for people to use, whether they're growing their own brand or they have a business? Yeah, um, like I said, there's there's so many, right? And uh and yeah, a lot of companies talked about. Uh, the social me media tactics that they use in my book. But I would say, um, like, first of all, I think everybody should at least secure their name, mm. whether it's your own personal brand or your company name, just start an account and whether or not you plan to use it. Yeah, you don't have to use it. Just just make sure that your name isn't taken because if it's taken by somebody else, then you're going to have a problem that you're going to have to be Sandra Nomoto one, two, three, right? Mm. So I would say just get on it to reserve your name. That's the first thing I'll say. And then depending on your business, yeah, it, it really depends if, if you're visual. And I, I think everybody in this day and age can can communicate visually in some way. Like I'm a writer, but I'm big on Instagram, right? Because I know it's important that people see my face and they they get to know me a little bit before they trust me with their, their written content. And so I'm big on Instagram. Others are more YouTube. Remember, YouTube lives a lot longer. I learned, see, I learned this from one of the contributors. <laughs> um, YouTube and Pinterest are actually quite good for longevity and search in the long run. Whereas, yeah, your Instagram is, is definitely short-term Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, those are all very short term content platforms. And then definitely if you if you're B2B, or if you run a business, LinkedIn, like LinkedIn is where everybody's doing their networking. Yes, I know, you know, there's the IG Instagrams, but or the, the DMs on Instagram. But LinkedIn is where you, you can really have more of those professional conversations. And yeah, it surprises me how much people they might have a LinkedIn profile, but they don't have a LinkedIn company page. So that's the equivalent of like having a Facebook profile for yourself, and then not doing a Facebook page for your company. So, you know, just again, please reserve <laughs> your company names on that platform. But that that's what I rec recommend, you know, you have your choice of the visual platforms. And then definitely, if you run a business beyond LinkedIn. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. So I'm going to take a step back and go back to content. 
in terms of like what that could look like. You mentioned a few examples, podcasts and, and things like that. So what would you recommend in terms of content for a business owner? Because you might not think immediately like, why should I be creating content? I create cupcakes. So like explain that, paint that picture. So it's a little clearer for people listening. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that because I think there are some foundational marketing elements that you need to do right when you start your business. Uh, like I said, you know, get up just just reserve your name on social platforms so that another, you know, business of the same same name doesn't take it. Um, you definitely want to have a website. Um, I see small businesses all the time just operating on Instagram. And that will take you so far. But if Instagram, you know, the meta has been known to go down for a day. <laughs> and you don't want that to happen to your business. So cannot rely just on social media, you've got to have your own website, that is your digital home, that is how you're going to get found on Google. After that, I would say beyond, you know, start with one, two, a few social media platforms. That's how you're going to have this dialogue with your audience. You know, it's not just you, about you pushing your product or service. You got to ask your audience what they want. I'll, you know, be asking questions. That ha That's how you have engagement. That's how you build public relations versus just me pushing my sales on my audience. So that's the, the next element I would suggest, social media build an email list. Because again, you never know when these social media platforms are going to go down. You always want to have an email list. So you have another way to communicate with your audience. And then lastly, I would say blogs. This is something a lot of people don't talk about because, you know, blogs can be long and boring. But they are how you build your keywords, build your content online that will help you get found on Google. So a lot of the websites nowadays that you can build your website on uh, have built in SEO or search engine optimization tools. So there are you know, categories, tags that you can tag with your with your blog. And then obviously, you want to make sure your keywords are in your blog title, in your paragraph header headers, and then also in your text. So if anything, just please remember those foundational things have a website, have a blog on your website, have an email list, and then social media. In terms of effectiveness, would you rank a few of those above others? And it's like if they have limited bandwidth, should they focus on maybe just one or two of them? Or would you recommend figuring out a way to kind of check all the boxes? I think, yeah, when you're starting out, you're not going to be able to do everything at once, right? So check all the boxes. <laughs> I would say you got to make sure that those are your basics, right? And then from then on, you can always layer on, you know, another social media platform, or maybe you want to increase the frequency of what you're doing on social media, posting maybe multiple times a day or, or every day instead of a few times a week. There's so much that you can do on social media, right? Layer in advertising. So you're boosting certain posts. So it reaches a bit further than your organic audience. Yeah, in my book, companies talk about what's worked well for them. And it's not the typical social media. So I have Karina Inkster. She's a nutrition coach and fitness trainer here in BC. She relies heavily on search engine optimization on people finding her through Google. So she's big. She actually runs her own podcast. She's very smart about using specific keywords in her show notes so that people find that, you know, that podcast episode and then they, it links back to her. She also writes articles for other outlets 
again, that will link back to her website. So she, yeah, she's really smart about uh, search engine op optimization and not so much on social media. So yeah, in the book, there's, like I said, everybody's different. Um, everybody's emphasizing on one one aspect of, of their content or their marketing versus another. But yeah, everybody's using at least a, a combination of one of the few that I've talked about. So I see that you have some experience when it comes to um, social impact and sustainable practices and businesses and whatnot. Um, could you go a little bit into that and exactly what that means? And then what is that conversation that's being had in specifically in this space? Yeah. So my previous business, Conscious Public Relations, we focused on telling the stories of socially and environmentally responsible businesses. That's what we were really focused on. And as part of that mission, I certified our company as a B Corporation. So if you're not familiar with what B Corporation is, it's a certification, just like you're, you know, certified vegan, certified gluten free, you know, it's that logo that you can stick on your your website or your packaging that shows consumers or your audience that you have been measured on your impact. And in order to qualify for B Corp certification, you have to fill out an impact assessment that B Lab, B Lab is the nonprofit that runs B Corp. So they have this assessment online, anybody can actually go on and take this assessment for free, just to see where you're at. But in order to certify, you have to have a minimum of 80 out of a possible 200 points. And so this is assessment really looks at, you know, the nature of your, your customers or your clients, who's in the leadership, you know, do you have women? Do you have people of color on your, you know, in your executive, executive team or your board of directors? It looks at your environmental impact. There's a couple of other things. I always forget the other, <laughs> the other two um, pillars, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that really, yeah, it's a really great assessment uh, for companies to see what their impact is in terms of social and environmental. And another part of that process was becoming a member of 1% for the Planet, which is a great organization where you can choose an environmental organization where you're going to donate uh, 1% of your revenue each year. And so I spent a number of years really networking in this scene and getting to know a lot of these great impact companies or impact-driven companies. But what I found that they weren't talking about now that I had closed that business and now I'm really into veganism is that they're not really talking about the impact of animals in their businesses. And that's, I think, one flaw that, you know, could really be highlighted in the B impact assessment. They really only have two questions that relate to animals. And I think if you're a vegan business, you're really part of that solution. You're already, you've already chosen not to use animals in your business. And so I think that these networks, these organizations, they could stand more to just learn about what it would take to become a vegan business and incorporate that into how they're bringing about positive impact. So they, they can communicate that with their audience. And then their audience is now thinking about, oh, like what is veganism and how, you know, yeah, I want to learn all about that now. So I think businesses could, yeah, they have a huge responsibility in this world as it is. And I think more of them should think about transitioning to a vegan business if they aren't one already. And you're currently, like obviously, people listening to SoFlo Vegans podcast, South Florida, we're in South Florida, but you are in Vancouver, Canada, correct? That's right. So what's the vegan scene like over there? I've heard nothing but good things about Vancouver, but what's the scene like uh, for people who've never been? 
Yeah, I think we've got a really good community here. We've got several meetups where it's great, you know, to meet other vegans or or at least people on the path on that path. Our restaurant scene has definitely gotten better. We do have a thriving food scene in Vancouver. We're fortunate to, you know, get a lot of cuisine from Asia that uh, a lot of that influence is there. And I think since I've transitioned there, yeah, more and more plant based businesses are popping up. And if they're not already fully vegan restaurant that yeah, they're, they're at least very vegan friendly. So yeah, I think we've got a great scene here. A lot of vegan activists as well. Like I'm not too big in yeah, I'm not too in involved in that scene. But uh, there's definitely protests going on outside slaughterhouses and and the cube of truth uh, every now and then pops up downtown. There was a trial uh, for a couple of individuals who were caught trespassing in one of the animal farms, and a few of them have been charged and are awaiting sentence. So that's really scary. But that's yeah, just just goes to show you we need to to work harder in terms of the agriculture laws, because it's they're obviously favoring the wrong side. So And that kind of goes into, you know, some of the differences between Canada and the U.S. I know there's been a push to ban certain things. I think I'm kind of remembering articles from years ago. Has there been a lot of progress in that respect in terms of the government's response to, um, you know, animal agriculture and just other things that maybe we take for granted? Not that we take for granted, but like, other places have, like England has done amazing things, made it like, ethic, you know, protect it as an ethical choice or whatever. So anything, how's Canada in that regard? Yeah, I would say we're not moving fast enough. I know the government has provided some, they have some sort of a program where they're investing more into plant proteins. So on the business side, I think they're doing well. They know that plant-based is the future. And so they're investing on that side. On the other, yeah, like I said, they're, they're not really doing much in terms of the laws to protect animals. So what's really horrible is that, you know, some of the horses that are getting raised here are getting imported to Japan for cuisine. Like, like that is Mm. just, (laughs) I don't even understand how that happens. And then there was recently a ban on animals getting imported into Canada. And I, you know, my circle of friends, I know that they've been rescuing animals from abroad. And, and I know that has been quite a common thing, but it's very unfortunate that they put a ban on it because of health reasons. Because, you know, if you, if the dog, uh, I'm just going to use dog an example, but if the dog hasn't had a certain number of, you know, rabies shots, like they, they won't let it come into the country, which, which is unfortunate because we've been rescuing animals from abroad. And so they, that ban just recently took place, you know, mm. hopefully at, over time that will get overturned. But, but yeah, I would say we're not doing great on the government side, but there, there is a great nonprofit organization here called Animal Justice. And it was founded by a lawyer and she, and that organization is doing amazing work on that side in terms of a awareness of what actually happens with the animals here. And then, you know, they put up petitions, you know, please sign these, and then hopefully that gets forwarded onto the government. And so yeah, really glad animal justice exists. And they actually have a story in my book, too. So yeah, so that I would say that's what's going on in Canada. So as we wind on the podcast, I want to ask you a question, kind of just pick your brain and see kind of what you come up with. As a public relations specialist, uh, expert, there's a big thing with how the vegan community is messaging the movement to people who are not part of the community. What would be your advice if there was organization or an entity that was in charge of veganism? 
like we're everybody agrees they are the ones and they're controlling it like a business. What would be your advice to them in terms of how to market veganism so that people, so it lands with people? Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's a big question. I would, but the, the word that comes to my mind is inclusivity. Like mm. that, I think that's the key. Uh, I mean, there's the vegan society. They coined veganism in the UK and I know, I know they do great things. They have a vegan trademark that, you know, businesses have, have gone and pursued and, and they're using. But yeah, I think there's this sense that if you're not doing it perfectly, you should, you know, wave the finger and, and <laughs> bad <laughs> vegan. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I just think we need more people doing it imperfectly, you know, like I've, I've stopped saying everybody needs to go vegan because I know for a lot of people, that's not going to be realistic. So I, if I would, this is only one message coming from me. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say, you know, everybody should say this, but I think people should work toward 80% plant-based diets and, you know, leave your animals for the weekend. If we can all, if, if most people can even get to that point, I think we would still see huge shifts in terms of the food system and, and reducing animal agriculture, because that's the, that's what it's going to take. You can't tell somebody you got to go hundred percent and then don't give them the tools <laughs> because mm-hmm. yeah, like I, when I think back to when I started this journey, I had no tools. I, I did the process of elimination thing and I'm just so fortunate now that we have more options um, that make it easier to transition. So I would say number one, we need to welcome everybody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what, what ethnicity you are, what you're eating currently, we need to welcome you in. And then second tools, provide people with the tools. So I I just recently put up a list of films, books, cookbooks, influencers that have helped me on my journey. I've put them up on my website just because I've accumulated so many of them now. So that if somebody says to me, hey, you know, what should I start reading or watching? I can just be like, here's, here's the page, go and and you know, have have at your your resources there. But yeah, I think inclusivity is the key. We cannot be wagging our fingers at people doing it imperfectly, because we need everybody yeah as many people as possible in this movement and i'm just going to piggyback off the i'm aware of it i said it so it negates itself i said piggyback i'm going to jump on that and say compassion is why i'm vegan i tell everybody because it's more about like how can i move in a space of love so that way i can be focused on my vision and not focus on the negativity and the fear that shows up around me. And I feel like a lot of the reason why people don't go vegan, even though they might in their mind feel it's the right, not I'm gonna say the right choice, but it's, you know, they are okay with the efficacy of it. I feel like even hear a lot of people who are um, against veganism. I have yet to hear one person that says you're wrong because you want to be, you, you don't want to, because you're doing it for ethical reasons. It's usually an argument against the health aspects of it. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like being grounded in that, that's why I, it's not even, not even necessarily specifically for like, I want to protect the animals. It's for me, it's like, I want to do that for all living beings. Yes. And I'm not drawing a line between a dog and a human in terms of me not wanting to kill either. And to me, that simplicity of just saying, okay, I've made drawn this line in the sand that I believe that a dog deserves to live as much as a human because it's not our place to kill either of them. And then taking that and just being that, 
because I find I always catch myself having conversations with people and I start to start to get on my pulpit and my soapbox. And it's like, whoa, let me step back a little bit because this wouldn't engage me. This wouldn't enroll me into doing something. What enrolls me and what enrolls other people that I see that I know are people that they look up to just living the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that Cracker Jack box where you didn't know they're vegan until something popped up. Maybe somebody else said it. And it's like, oh, wow, they're vegan. I thought vegans were one. So it's like shifting that perception by being the change you want to see. I know it's a cliche, yeah. but that's really what I try to drive home with this platform, this podcast, with anything that we do. And I only reason I, I'm saying this is because, you know, what you were saying definitely reminds me that this is a message that we get to continue to speak to speak into existence because this movement is it's it's more important than people imagine and yeah. not maybe and maybe not for the reasons you think i feel mm -hmm. like i feel like the world around us isn't necessarily changing but it's revealing itself and the yeah. more that it starts to reveal itself being able to steep ourselves and ground ourselves in love will allow us to create that balance that will allow us to move forward. So, so thank you for allowing creating this space to have this moment. Because if anyone listens to this podcast, you know that's my favorite thing to talk about. And as we wind down, and the last thing I'm going to do is I kind of just set it up for this. It's for you to share a message to our audience. I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak directly to the audience about anything that might be on your heart, on your mind. And we're going to end the show as soon as you're complete. Thanks so much for reflecting that back. That's really beautiful. And I, I just want to say, yeah, when I before I watched Earthlings, I didn't really care much for animals. But as a result of becoming vegan, I found that I have become a more compassionate person as well. And I, I care more for the issues of other humans. And so yeah, thank you for that. I'll start with my book. The ebook is out now you can uh, find vegan marketing success stories where ebooks are sold. And then the paperback and the audio version come out World Vegan Day, November 1st. And you can visit my website, sandranamoto.com for all the links where you can get those. Um, yeah, and I just want to say to your listeners, if you're vegan, thank you so much. Um, you're part of the change. And if you run a vegan business, you're interested in, in how you want to um, uh, do your marketing better, improve your marketing, or just uh, gain some new ideas, please pick up a copy of my book or gift it to somebody else. And if you're not vegan, please continue to listen to this podcast and listen to other vegans who are out there with their media platforms and find your way in. Not everybody you know, is going to get in there through earthlings. But yeah, whether it's the environment, animals, your health, preventing pandemics, you know, we need you and uh, we welcome you. That's what I have to say. You've been listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle, having on vegan experts from around the globe. Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlo Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlo Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFloVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.